Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guests this week are Meredith Salinger and Patton Oswalt. Patton Oswalt is a stand-up comedian. He's been on Bullseye several times in the past, more times than we can count, honestly. He was kind of a regular when I was doing the show out of UC Santa Cruz. Patton is also an actor. He voiced Remy in Disney's Ratatouille, played opposite Charlize Theron in Young Adult, has a bunch of other credits. His most recent voice work can be heard as the title character in Marvel's MODOK on Hulu. We got Iron Man. We didn't destabilize the world economy, but Iron Man kicked me so hard, his boot got wedged in my hover chair, so... Victory! Meredith Salinger, his wife, is an actor, too. She starred on the 80s teen comedy Dream a Little Dream... She's done voice work on shows like Robot Chicken, Mad the Animated Series, Star Wars Rebels, and Star Wars The Clone Wars. Meredith and Patton are parents, too, so they are very busy. So busy that they don't get a lot of one-on-one time together. So they did what any sensible person in 2021 would do. They decided to get some quality time in by making a podcast. Did you get my text as a chance for Meredith and Patton to sit down and sort through the maelstrom of texts they send each other each day. It's a moment to take a break from the agony of daily life. Just sit down and talk. About all kinds of things, from Postmates emails to bad tweets to a geode that looks like Cookie Monster. And along the way, they also get into serious stuff. Relationship issues, friendships, loss. Before we get into the conversation, two things. First, this interview has plenty of jokes and goofing around, but we also get into some more serious topics, like dealing with grief. In 2016, Patton lost his first wife, true crime writer and journalist Michelle McNamara, quite suddenly. We thought we'd give you a heads up about that. Now, let's kick things off with a clip from Patton and Meredith's podcast, Did You Get My Text? Here, they're talking about why Meredith won't ever get a facelift. We should cut this whole part of the podcast out oh. so that later in life, when you haven't gotten a facelift, people can go, what a brave choice she made. And you're like, that's right. You know what? I'm, I'm bucking the system. Well, <laughs> Not if I get one, my face will fall off my skull. <laughs> I might go paralyzed. Yeah. Who's to say? I'm afraid of medical procedures. I don't like IVs or anything like that. So maybe I yeah. wouldn't. Right. I can't anyway, but maybe I wouldn't make yeah, that choice. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah. But I never would do that other weird stuff where you end up looking like a crazy cat lady oh where you inject God. your face with everything because that is Why horrifying. Do, do that? I know. It doesn't make you look prettier. Never it makes does. you look crazy. Yeah, it makes you look crazy. It's, it has never once worked out. No. Ever. Yeah. Like that kind of surgery is the equivalent of the people that are, that are going, I know that heroin took down Belushi and Hendrix and um, so Philip Seymour Hoffman, but I'll be the one guy It doesn't. It's like, no, you won't be the one guy. Like it will take you out too. It, you like- People are like, I'll be the one person that gets the injection to look good. You're like, you won't. Meredith Salinger, Patton Oswalt, welcome to Bullseye. It's nice to have you on the show. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Wow, that was a very intense clip. <laughs> it really got much darker. I did not pull that clip, and it got a lot darker at the end. Did it get darker? I don't even remember what we started. said. I mean, it went we straight say? from you're never going to get uh, to what? To, a facelift. Uh, to someone dying from heroin <laughs> yeah, overdose. Exactly. To a list of people who yeah. died of heroin overdoses. Well, uh, yeah, there, but there is always that, you know, I'll be the one. No. <laughs> No. <laughs> there would have been like Lou Reed. Yeah. <laughs> he made it to like 80. <laughs> okay, fine. And and William S. Burroughs. But besides those two, that's it. <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't know. <laughs> well, will you will you two tell me about how you met each other? Oh, my God, no. Okay. <laughs> how Fair dare enough. you? I got to go. Bye. Yeah, this was well, a really fun podcast. Jeez. We met. Because one of my dearest friends since I was 15, um, her name is Martha Plimpton. She's an actress. And she often throws these fabulous dinner parties at her house with random people. And she had invited 15 people to her house for a dinner party. And she had done it on a text thread on Facebook. So you could see everyone who was coming. And everybody went except Patton. I'd never met him before. I don't know who he is. And 
the next day I texted the text thread and I was like, Martha, best dinner party ever. Dude, you missed the best lasagna. Are we allowed to curse on this podcast? Well, you just did. I mean, the answer is no, but <laughs> the answer we'll is no. It, but... Is the answer no? Yeah. Because I have an it's issue. It's going to be on national public radio. You're going to be oh, on is that what 300 is? radio stations <laughs> around the country. Oh, I have no idea. Who am I? It's okay. Anyway, yeah. I won't do that again. Or just bleep me. Because okay. it'll, ha- it'll might happen. You can't happen. say darn on NPR. Oh. Yeah. They'll bleep darn. Anyway. <laughs> we, they've got whole segments about socks. <laughs> um, so, so... Patton happened to be online at the same time that I wrote that, and he wrote back, oh, man, I was supposed to be there. And then we were just both online at the same time, so we were DMing back and forth. And we ended up texting for, like, two hours. And then it was 11 o'clock at night, and he's like, this was fun. Same time tomorrow. And I was like, all right. I didn't. We were just literally talking about Trump had just been elected, and— we were random stuff. It was not flirty in any way. For like the first month. For like it was the just first talking, month and a half. Talking in the dark at the end of the day with someone smart. Not talking. It, texting. Text, I'm sorry. Texting. We, we never, never spoke. spoke. Yeah. We never spoke for three months. We only texted two hours every single night for three months. And, and then. you hadn't. Like this is a dinner party that Patton didn't go to. So you, go, hadn't, you had not hadn't heard each him. other's voice. No. Had not. But we did. So around like two months into it. I we I started to fall in love with him. We I just we it was very platonic, just talking about life. And over the course of the time, I fell in love with him. And I went to lunch with my best friend, and I burst into tears. And she's like, "Why are you crying?" And I said, "Because I think I love him." And she's like, "Then why are you crying?" I said, "Because I know me, and I'm not going to like him when I meet him. I'm going to meet him, and I'm not going to be attracted. And I'm the worst person in the world. And I'm never getting married. And I'm 47. And um, <laughs> and then uh, we." We scheduled a date to meet, and a week before, I said to him, I texted, we should probably talk on the phone, like, to hear each other's voice. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he's like, okay, call me. And so I called him, and he goes, hello? And I go, oh, God, I can't do this. And I hung up. (laughs) And then I called him back, like, five minutes later, and I was like, I'm so sorry. This is so weird. I don't even know what you sound like. And then I met him in person, and I was like, you're so cute, and we fell in love. It's funny, like— you know, I've been interviewing people for however two twenty years, and I will when I'm preparing. You know, I'll read mostly. I'll be yeah, reading yeah. and reading and reading and reading because it's faster and you know yeah. often often sure. deeper. But if it's someone who isn't a performer, I will often just take the time right before I go in to listen to one thing mm-hmm. because I'm so uncomfortable not knowing how they talk like it seems so just it is how big, they talk what right. they sound like exactly well i got lucky because yeah. i had i i mean i knew he was an actor i didn't really know much about him i'd anyway i looked him up for sure and you like imdb'd him i i i, I googled him <laughs> and then i saw that he patented you imdb <laughs> uh, i did i did a quick imdb uh-huh. popped over to her thread and oh, he's okay. like damn she's hot and i was like oh god am i gonna <laughs> Pat, you're definitely a man who can uh whose hobby is listing the actors in things that oh that is true <laughs> and listing the things that actors have done yeah yeah so there was that kind of oh she did this and this oh all these oh here's wow. the thing that really i don't know i don't know if he's lying to me or not but he knows everything he has an encyclopedic brain about movies from four thousand years ago he knows every book every character every everything and then i was like he he said i said did you see any of my movies he was like no i was like how have you seen every movie in the world and you haven't seen and so i don't know if i believe him i think he's seen him i think he was probably in love with me when he was young well i saw um natty gan and i remember seeing um lake placid but i don't you remember are. seeing you in it because we it was a big bunch of comedians and we kind of went to make fun of it. Although whoa, we whoa, ended whoa, up, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. You made fun of Natty Gann? No, not no. Natty Gann. Lake, Lake Placid. Placid. Okay, you no, can make fun Natty of Lake Placid. A, Natty Gann is a genuinely great film. Thank you. Lake Placid is a really, Lake Placid is up there with Anaconda and um, it's a David Deep Lucy. Kelly where it's just movie. fun. It's so Betty goofy. Betty White's in it. She cursing her curses, brains out. Yeah. And there's an alligator and 
Oliver Platt and Bill Pullman and Bridget. Fon- anyway, it, you made fun of it. We all just went to watch this fun movie, which we we made fun of it, but we also very much enjoyed it. Just like we very much enjoyed Anaconda. You know, they're, they're very fun movie going experiences. All oh, right, the, a, a, an alligator eats a bear in your movie. It's awesome. It was awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, it's an awesome film. And she's in a hot sheriff's outfit. She's all it's wet. It's not a she, hot sheriff's outfit. You it's, look cute. Thank you. Um. So, yeah. There, there was <laughs> it was that. just a sheriff's outfit. Well, the way it they- It was a brown- the way, they, the way you filled it out was very nice. So I'm just saying. Anyway. Okay, so you looked up each other's IMDb's. Yeah, and there was You a... were not imp- neither of you was impressed. Very few films that you'd seen <laughs> on either list. <laughs> well, I watched Young Adult because I know he told me that he there he there was a sex scene in that movie with oh, Charlize God. Theron. I and, didn't and by I... the way, I didn't say in a bragging way. I'm like, I'm I do a sex scene with Charlize Theron. I don't know why. My anyway, one sex scene is with the most physically perfect human being. Like, yeah. it can't be with M.M. at Walsh or, you know, Paul Giamatti. No, it's okay, great. Anyway, so of course, I was like, I must see this because, you know, who knows what's going to happen if I fall in love with him or not. I mean, this could end up being something. So, and then I watch and he's, he gets not naked, like you don't see full frontal, but, um, you see his little body. It's so cute. <laughs> and that was before you had seen each other in person? Yeah. So I was still worried. I was still worried. I was yeah. like, oh, God. What am I? <laughs> I was a nervous wreck. Yeah. And you look nervous right now. I know. And I'm getting on because I'm, I'm going back to that moment and I'm feeling all the feelings. But I was nervous that I wouldn't like you and you were nervous that I wouldn't like you. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. Because I wasn't going to not like her. I, you know, I, and, and, and this is not, you know, obviously she's beautiful, but it was also because it was three months talking to this person and going, she's so cool, I could just spend my life talking with this person. That is, you know, you get to a certain age and you're like, I just want someone who's not crazy and who's smart and who's funny. You know, that means so much more. You know, his when you're, standards you're, had really lowered by his, when, when he was 40. No, if He's anything, like, I my just want someone who's smart, who can read. If, and- if anything, my standards got even higher because I, I think that a lot of people, as they get older, like, I got to get some someone new and young and hot. And they don't realize that. That, that the old, ugly, unhot person is worth marrying. <laughs> <laughs> that you need to go, you need the internal spark that what that's what needs to be there yeah, and to I, make it last i got the internal spark texting with you i just needed to know if there'd be that you know other spark she knew that the 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 you know the vehicle around the spark was broken down and the fender was missing <laughs> she was okay with that she was just like can i still hang out with this guy <laughs> we've got so much more to get into with pat oswalt and meredith salinger still to come it's a well-known fact that Patton is a celebrity nerd but Meredith Salinger, she geeks out about stuff too. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Discover. Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year automatically, with no limit on how much you can earn. It's amazing because of all the places where Discover is accepted. of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So, when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash match. 2021 Nielsen Report. Limitations apply. Hey, it's John Moe. And look, these are challenging times for our mental and emotional health. I get it. That's why I'm so excited for my new podcast, Depression Mode. We're tackling depression, anxiety, trauma, stress, the kinds of things that are just super common but don't get talked about nearly enough. Conversations that are illuminating, honest, and sometimes pretty funny with folks like Kelsey Dara, Open Mike Eagle, and Patton Oswalt. Humphrey Bogart was never in therapy. And then my dad said, yeah, but he smoked a carton of cigarettes a day. So he was in therapy. Plus psychiatrists, psychologists, and all kinds of folks. On Depression Mode, we're working together, learning, helping each other out. We're a team. Join our team. Depression Mode from Maximum Fun, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with comedian Patton Oswalt and actor Meredith Salinger. Patton and Meredith have been married since 2017, and this summer they launched a new podcast together. It's called Did You Get My Text with Meredith and Patton. 
On it, they take a break from their busy lives as actors to talk about all the text messages, memes, and random stuff they send each other throughout the day. Let's get back into our conversation. Where did the two of you meet up in person for the first time? Well, he's like, what's your favorite restaurant? And I'm thinking to myself, I'm not having a two-hour dinner with someone that I might not be attracted to. So, and I've been on a billion blind dates, and my theory is 45 minutes, no matter what, 45 minutes. And the guys are always like, what if we are madly in love with each other? I was like, then we can see each other again. But if we're not, then this was great. Bye. So anyway. Do you I, put like a timeout clock on the <laughs> table? <laughs> she brings a huge hour glass. I mean, I pretty much um <laughs> I'm like, I got to be out by 640. If the date is at six, I'm like, got to be gone by 645. Anyway, <laughs> it's only for, so we met at uh, Shutters on the beach, which is a hotel and they have a like a bar or a restaurant overlooking the ocean. And I thought, great, we can have a drink. We'll have something to look at. And if it's terrible, I'll leave. And this has never happened in the history of Meredith Salinger ever. But after having a drink, I was like, do you want to go for a walk? And then we went for a walk on the beach, and we looked at all the people at Muscle Beach. We were, like, by Venice—not uh, Venice, uh, Santa Monica. Yeah. We looked at the pier in Muscle Beach, and people were playing chess. And then that was really nice. And then I was like, should we get dinner? Never. Could you even? I, f- I was truly in love. Like, he was brilliant and amazing. So, yeah. That was really sweet. Did you yeah. feel the same way, Pat? Yeah, I mean, I just, I mean, I, because I knew already who she was internally, and that was, that had shifted the world for me. So I, I just knew, you know, I was like, well, as long as I don't somehow screw this up or so, something or so. What do you mean when you say she had shifted you internally? Just, I, I had, I had met a mind and a soul that I knew. I would I could spend a lifetime with and and so it wasn't that giddy I was giddy and nervous but but beyond that was just that like calm oh this is this is one of the few that you know you want to build a world with it was that it was just that kind of feeling I I can't there's no other way to describe it but you because when I when I say shifted the world it was because the world for me at that point was you know my wife had passed away and I had really, really just um, settled myself in a way that I thought was a form of happiness. That's how deluded I was, where I'm just going to exist and I can merely exist and that's fine. And then I'm just going to focus on making my daughter's life as amazing as I can. And it was almost like I just wasn't alive, basically, in a weird way. And then I met this Again, just this mind, just this soul that shifted the way that I looked at the world of, no, actually, you need a little more than that. You do need some actual genuine happiness and risk and, you know, being out in the sun and and living life for wherever good or bad comes your way. You know, I I had done that thing of I want pure safety to a fault. I, you know, if if it means that I miss out on happiness, but if it also blocks out any more sadness and tragedy, I'm good with that. I'm good. Merely existing to me was like a reward. You know, it's that I don't taste my food anymore. It's just I'm merely existing. And I thought that was okay. Then I started talking to her and I realized it's not. I got to, you know, come back into the world. I can understand that you had that feeling because not, not only had your... Uh, your previous wife, Michelle McNamara, died, mm-hmm. but she died like completely unexpectedly, uh, out of nowhere. It, it was so like, yeah, it, it was. It could not have been a more like scorched earth. Everything is now changed. Kind of, you know. There's no, yeah. I, I don't know. Honestly, I've I, when I was in my grief group and I talked to other widowers, there were some that were saying, you know, my wife died after a very long battle with cancer, and then there were other guys like just like you, my my husband died very suddenly and you know we couldn't we we could never figure out which one was worse they're their own kind of horribleness and then you start doing this really weird thing this is going to sound kind of strange but you th- you start doing the well it was horrible but what if it had happened like when she was driving a car and Alice was in the car or what if it like you you just you try to find out okay what is what are the what are the any good aspect of this even if it's the if it's a dark form of goodness I'll take it that's that's the kind of deals you start making i can understand the like desiring 
flatness because to lose someone you love that unexpectedly is just like such a vivid reminder of how little control you have over anything. So if I have nothing in my life, there's nothing to lose control over. Or if I'm only focused on one thing, which is Alice, there's nothing else that's going to, you know, mess me up. I remember my, my friend Michael Penn gave me a book, um, uh, Grief Observed, and the, by um, uh, C.S. Lewis. And the first line is, no one had ever told me how much grief feels like terror. And that is what it, it feels like terror. You're terrified. Because everything you thought you knew about the world is now gone. And the world is a openly hostile place now. Everything is hostile. At what point, Meredith, did you know that Patton was a widower? I knew when I first kind of looked him up, like once we started talking, I had found out that his wife had passed away. And I was very curious. And I was on Facebook. And I, I looked her up to see... I wanted to see who she was. And she had a Facebook page. And she and I had 12 mutual friends, one of whom was my best friend since seventh grade. Her name is JJ. And so I immediately called my best friend. And I was like, do you know Michelle McNamara? You're on her. She's like, she was my best friend after college. I was like, what? And she's like, oh, my God, she's amazing. I'm like, what is she like? She's like, she's like one of us. And when I say that, I went to an all-girls school. And the friendships that you form when you're at an all-girls school, I mean, JJ and I met in seventh grade. We're best friends to this day. And side note, her daughter and my daughter are now in the same class, and they're best friends. So it's amazing. But anyway, I spoke to JJ, and she's like, she's amazing. She's smart. And that, knowing that she was great and knowing that she's like my kind of girl, meaning a smart, nice girl, not like a, you know, there are different kinds of girls. Anyway. Knowing that she was a good girl was like, oh, Patton's a good guy. Like, he likes good girls because there's so many girls. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah. it made me like him more. And um, I know a lot of people who have lost a wife and then the new wife is sort of kind of jealous of the old wife and doesn't want to talk about it or stuff like that. I have a whole different look, uh, outlook on that situation. I really feel... First of all, Michelle and I are literally exactly the same age. My birthday is one month before her birthday. Yeah. And we very much look alike. <laughs> you have a type, I think. Brown hair, blue eyes, little nose, freckles, yeah. the whole thing. Smart. I And I love kids more than anyone in the history of time. Like, I am Mary Poppins straight up. I had two car seats in my car before yeah, I ever met Patton. That's true. My sister has four girls. I, I like, help, helped my sister give birth to them. I've... Raise, I, she goes away and I take them. It's not like I'll be with you for an hour and then leave. I love children. So I felt like Michelle sort of orchestrated it from heaven. It was sort of like, I have the best kid in the universe. Who on earth could possibly take care of this child to make her? And it's like, oh, that girl right there, she's amazing with kids, her. And then it was like, who would Patton even like? And it's like, oh, that chick looks like me. <laughs> How about her? <laughs> and then it was like, yeah. And so, and then I met Alice, and I, I'll start crying. Yeah. She really, really, like, fell in love with Alice. They're such an inseparable pair now and and doesn't do the thing of shying away from mentioning Michelle or if, if Michelle comes up in conversation, she's not like, I don't want to, you know. No, we talk about <clears throat> Michelle. Like, oh, yeah. We, we, we play games like Clue, like we're obsessed with the game Clue, and – Every time Alice wins, I'm like, it's not fair. Your mom's a detective. This yeah. isn't fair. You got her. You got her genes. Yeah. And then, um, but we we definitely, and then also sometimes I like use Michelle a little bit like, Alice, you got to eat your broccoli. I'm not, and I'm so used to being an aunt. Mm -hmm. I'm such a good, fun aunt that being a mom is a whole other thing. She doesn't get to be the fun aunt anymore. So I'm like, Alice. Eat your broccoli. She's like, ugh. I'm like, you got to eat your broccoli. I'm like, listen, I have to take care. I, I am now in charge of taking care of you. She's going to be mad at me if you don't eat your broccoli. So yeah. come on. You have to do it. Like, I have to tell you this because I'm trying to be a good mom. She's like, I know you have to be a mom. So that kind of stuff. So It's only like half a step from saying there's a ghost in the room. <laughs> well, that's, the funniest thing, Alice said that once. She's like, wait, what did she say? I, I, we were talking about Michelle and I was like, I have to answer to her. She orchestrated this from heaven. She's like, she's not God. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and I was like, yeah, 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 I know. But 
She yeah. what I said she she'll know. So right, she I have to know. answer to her too. I noticed that when you were describing her, you were switching tenses and you're mostly using the present tense. Am I? Yeah. Michelle, yes, she passed and and but her legacy is still there just in terms of the writing and the work that she did. And it's, you know, they just showed a new special on HBO based on her stuff. People are, you know, always contacting me. So it just – it does feel like – especially I think when a, when a writer or an artist passes there because their work is still there, they're still there. And, and especially if their work is still doing work, their work is still helping to, you know, in her case, solve crimes, then it's – they're still there in a – and also because Meredith doesn't – again, doesn't have that – fear and jealousy about that kind of stuff so she can talk about her in the present tense. And also it's nice to I think it helps Alice like not it it helps her have an outlook on her mom. She's she's still her mom. She calls her mama. She calls me mommy. And and also Michelle's Michelle had like the biggest she's Irish. She had like a million people in her family. She has four sisters and a brother and um, they're still in our lives. They were at our wedding and um, they come over. They've stayed with us. So it's I mean, I she's still I it, it feels very much like she's still part of the family. I mean, she is. She's part of the family. Well, what's amazing is that, you know, for for what Alice got from Michelle, you know, genetically and, and you know, in terms of passing it down, like you're your mom was a detective. But seeing Meredith's influence on her and seeing her become the kind of girl that Meredith was growing up out, it, it does feel like the best of both worlds. Like Alice is getting, it's this, you know, already has a good base there, but then is being taught by this, this, this cool girl Jedi master. I don't know <laughs> another way to put it, but you know. I, you know, I was listening to the second episode of your podcast together mm-hmm. and there was a passing remark that I noticed. Mm-hmm. And Patton obviously is a a member of the nerdorati. Yes, Patton has been a celebrity nerd for twenty years. I'm a capo in the nerd mafia. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, You know, not just memorizing the names. I'm sure Patton could list the tertiary uh, (laughs) villains in in Daredevil or something. Mm Um, you mean like Stilt Man and Typhoid Mary and yeah. Mr. Hyde and stuff like that? Not yeah, the main ones, like you know Kingpin and Bullseye well, that's, I guess, or, where no. or Electra. We're talking about the more yeah. No, you yeah. have a question, but I was just going to say that's where like Modok comes in. But we'll talk about Modok in a minute. Like Modok was very second. Oh, could not have been more obscure. And yeah, obscure. And then he does a show about him. But anyway, yeah. go with go finish your. Yeah. So Patton is a Patton is a celebrity nerd. Yeah. Michelle was a power nerd of her own kind. She kind of created this, helped to create this genre, this true crime nerd. Yeah. You know. She was a, you've referred to her as a writer and detective. She was like a, uh, she was like an investigative true crime writer Mm -hmm. um, who, you know, did some very, very actually important work. Not just, you know, sort of uh, uh, salacious, Mm -hmm. um, you know, goof around stuff. Right. Um, so she was she was a a real power nerd of her of her own type. I don't know if she could name uh, tertiary characters in the Daredevil universe, but no, um, I'm a tertiary character in the Daredevil. She universe. is. She is <laughs> literally a tertiary. Character. What character are you? I play the wife of um, Ben. Yurik's wife, um, who was a, a writer at the Daily Bugle mm-hmm. and uh, knew that Matt Murdock was Daredevil, at least in the comics, yeah, uh, canonically. And um, she is in the season three of Daredevil, uh, playing the wife of Ben Yurik. Well, I wasn't using that example for anyway. that reason. Yeah. So the thing that you said on the podcast. What I say. Meredith. What I say. Is you basically said, I'm paraphrasing. But you basically said to Patton, uh, yeah, you're a nerd and I'm not. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I've over time have grown to love the idea of being a nerd. And for me, it's the definition for me is that it's someone who's truly passionate about something they're interested in. And so for Patton, it's movies and comics and that kind of thing. And um some people, it's music and baseball and, you know, and for me, it's Muppets. <laughs> it's Muppets. <laughs> it's Muppets. But also, it, the, the, another thing that, that Meredith and other people that I know have that I do and not poetry. have. And poetry. is 
she, you know, sometimes I get so lost in the minutia and exotic information of whatever nerdy thing I'm delving into that I kind of lose touch with. Like I'm not, uh, I'm not as cognizant of my friends and everyone that I know and love. Whereas Meredith is very, very in tune with everything that's going on with her friends. Is fascinated by them. Is actually more in tune with life and human beings as they are right now. Whereas I can, yes, I can name you know, um, Bosk's ship from uh, Empire Strikes Back, the hound's tooth. But um, <laughs> I, but I, uh, there are times when I'm like, oh, it was your birthday yesterday. And, you know, Meredith, like, never, because she's so much more in tune. That being and said. And sees the poetry and amazingness of her friends. Yes, but also marrying a nerd and having been <laughs> part of many universes with which he might be fascinated, for example. Yeah, she is. Well, she came about her love of nerddom from being a part of acting and performing in some of these realms and then meeting the fans and going, this is actually really cool. They're very creative. They're like, you know. Well, I I um, I start I I do voiceover work and I did a show called The Clone Wars that Dave Filoni created and it's a Star Wars thing and I play a character in that and because and a few other characters I have a main character named Barris Offie but then I have a bunch of other characters as well and he Dave uh, the director and creator basically is the most knowledgeable oh my god about everything Star Wars and so I watched every single Star Wars movie in order and then <laughs> I'm also best friends with Seth Green, who created Robot Chicken, <laughs> and he does a whole Star Wars series uh, uh, about – he does a yep. whole comedy animated thing about Star Wars. And I watched all the Robot Chicken Star Wars specials. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, Dave gives me the behind the scenes, and then he gave me all the books, like, of the expanded universe that have to do with Beresafi. So I became a big uh, love – well, I've always loved Star Wars since I was a little girl. That was like the first memory I ever have of going to the movies was waiting in line for Star yeah. Wars in 1977. But then I was able to do the show Rebels, and then I actually – when they were doing the – usually when they do a movie, they have a loop group to do background noise and stuff like that. And for The Force Awakens, Matt Wood, who's won many Oscars for sound design, was doing the sound, and normally they hire just a random loop group. He – invited the entire cast of the Clone Wars. And this is a do... group of people who come in to when there's people making noise on screen who haven't been recorded when they're a, shooting a the cantina, film. cantina, the bridge of a battleship, where anyone there's a lot the of voices. Yeah, anyone yeah. in the background of a major scene where there are two main characters chatting, but then there's other random people in the back. There's uh, voices going on, yeah. chatter. So he invited all the Clone Wars people to come in. So I actually am also in The Force Awakens. And there's a scene where somebody hands an extra, hands um, Carrie Fisher something, and and they use my voice. I'm like Commander, <laughs> and so I have a scene. <laughs> I have a scene with um, Commander Carrie Fisher. <laughs> Commander. We'll finish up with Patton Oswalt and Meredith Salinger in just a minute. Stay with us. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. This week on NPR's Life Kit: Financial Independence. We want to help you work towards financial freedom, wherever you're at. Concentrate right now on what you can do to better your finances, to prepare for that next crisis. Not out of fear, but out of preparation. Listen now to the Life Kit podcast from NPR. Schmanners. Noun. Definition. Rules of etiquette designed not to judge others, but rather to guide ourselves through everyday social situations. Hello, Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. Every week on Schmanners, we take a look at a topic that has to do with society or manners. We talk about the history of it. We take a look at how it applies to everyday life. And we take some of your questions. And sometimes we do a biography about a really cool person that had an impact on how we view etiquette. So join us every Friday and listen to Schmanners on MaximumFun.org or wherever podcasts are found. Manners, Schmanners. Get it? Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guests are Patton Oswalt and Meredith Salinger. The married couple have a new podcast called Did You Get My Text? with Meredith and Patton. Let's get back into our conversation. I remember very vividly going to Comic-Con maybe 10 or 12 years ago, and it was my first time, and I met this uh, club 
of Firefly enthusiasts. Nice. The television show. And I had watched Firefly and really enjoyed it and watched- uh, Loved the, that show. There was a movie of Firefly. Yep, Serenity. And, and I remember thinking, which I also really enjoyed, and I remember thinking like, <laughs> what do they what do they chat about? Because there's only like eight episodes or something. I was like, I really like this, and I can't think of anything to say about it. Well, I mean, what they chat about is what they, what if you go on any group, you, you take random lines of tossed off dialogue and then use that to build another thing around it. I mean, which is what a lot of, if you watch The Mandalorian, a lot of those things are about tossed off bits of dialogue or a prop that that fans honed in on and then they built something around that like they it's just amazing like why wouldn't you be inspired i wrote an episode i wrote an issue of the firefly comic for dark horse about it takes place after wash's death and what happens after that death and what his legacy is because i imagined he must be this really well-known pilot in that universe so how do other people react to it so that was the story i pitched it to joss and he went yeah write that one so, so and and there's, so there's all these people just keep thinking of stuff. I mean, you have the nerd's dream job of having that be your profession. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm, well, I'm very lucky in that I get to, especially with something like Modoc, where you get to take, as as Meredith was saying, this very minor, very obscure character who, let's face it, was not perfectly conceived it literally looks like it's just jack kirby on a bad day <laughs> you want a villain here the giant head and lay flies around fine i gotta get some food you know like like he literally feels like that's how he was like he was created in a rage and he's just full of rage and so to then start building that world you turned it on its head you yeah. you kind of oh, added God. something you made him like the everyman so he's he in the animated show yeah he is villain out in the world, but at home, he has a home life, and he has a wife who's right. mad at him, and he's yeah. got kids who fight with Don't him. Don't respect and, him. And, uh, because what we said was the ultimate villain thing, because uh, the other thing about Modok is he is just as angry at the other villains because they don't give him enough respect. He, he's as angry at the villains as he is the heroes. So we're like, well, in his mind, he's like, well, Dr. Doom and, and the Green Goblin and, and all these people run the world, but they do it alone. They don't have families. They can't, you know, they... I'm going to be the one that does both. Like that in his mind, having a loving family is just another part of his rage against the world, <laughs> you know? So then being able to add all that in there and um, – It's very funny. It's, it's really a really fun. And it's so well animated. And again, my friend Seth Green, his company yes. Stupid Buddy, do the stop motion animation on that. And she in uh, – Meredith in one episode plays this publicist – and I'm Brandy. Brandy. Just she in- talks very fast, and she thinks it's very nice to call people pigs. Yeah. She's like, oh, my God, you're such a pig. <laughs> like- yeah. She, she's one of those people that thinks that she's – I know, I'm just – I'm trying to, like, get you – thinks that she's helping her clients, and she's just the nastiest. <laughs> it was really, really fun very when fun we conceived it, and then she just came in and ran with it. it was So that kind of stuff is always fun. And, I mean, that whole show, I got to pull in all my friends, everyone that I love to come in and do voices and – and everyone, everyone just went to town with the characters we gave them. Nathan Fillion and John Hamm. And, well, Na- uh, here's, uh, an, here's, a bit of, here's a bit of nerdiness. Wendy McClendon-Covey. We and- brought in Nathan Fillion to play Wonder Man, who he plays in a news clip that was cut out of the first Guardians of the Galaxy film. Because <laughs> in the Marvel comics, that character is a film actor who gets superpowers. So he plays, they're just talking about this guy, film actor, Inks New Deal, he hasn't become Wonder Man yet, and then we did, the, and then they cut that whole scene out, and then we just called up Nathan and went, please, can you voice Wonder Man? He goes, absolutely, and we asked Marvel, can we use him? And they'll go, oh yeah, go ahead. And he's perfect. Because, we gotta find him, he's in here somewhere. Yeah. But also like, cause Wonder Man in the comics is kind of a d- <laughs> and and they and they did him that way. Like they wanted. What if a, what if a superhero was also kind of a? D- <laughs> and so it's just like that level of it. Just we just had so much fun. <laughs> and we we dragged in poor Bill Hader to play another obscure villain called Angar the Screamer. <laughs> and there is nothing funnier when you look at early seventies Marvel comics and whenever they would try to. We got to do something that's hip with the times. We got to reach out to the kids. So Angar is there. 
attempt at like like these kids like Robert Plant, don't they? So it's basically Robert Plant, but as like a supervillain whose rock scream can like kill people. I swear to God. And it's a bunch of old men in their office going, "These rock people will kill you with their scream." Like that. Like that's just they hate it so much. So oh. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guests are Meredith Salinger and Patton Oswalt. Meredith, you said something that struck me earlier in our conversation, which was that when you realized you were in love with Patton, before the two of you had ever met, you said not only did you break down having lunch with a friend, but what you said was that you felt like you were a terrible person and you were 47 years old and would never get married. Yeah. Well, I didn't think I was a ter- I thought I'd be a terrible person if I had fallen in love but then didn't fall in love because of whatever superficial thing that people think of. Well, you were speaking specifically of you, not of people. So why do you think you felt that like something like that would happen? I have dated so many so many people that are very interesting and very adventurous and cool. And and as I dated them, I knew while I was dating them, like, this is fun. This is an adventure. There's no way I'm bringing this person home to my father. But this is amazing, and I'm having a wild life. And every time a friend would set me up with someone who was good, like a good person with a good job and not a crazy actor and not a crazy musician and not a surfer and not a beatboxer and not a bass player. <laughs> a beatboxer? Oh, yeah. I dated a beatboxer from England. Did you date the godfather of noise or Dougie Fresh? <laughs> she dated Michael Winslow from the police academy. Uh, um, yeah, famous beatboxer from England. And um, You haven't lived until you <laughs> made out to the sound of a helicopter flying. <laughs> um, and so every time I would go out with a regular person, there was always some, I was always, it never was right. And every time I'd come back to my friends and they'd be like, how was your date? I was like, he's not for me. And my friend would then say, after another date, she's like, how was your date? He's not for me. She would just say he's not for me before I even answered. And so I just was starting to feel like, what's wrong with me? Why am I only attracted to these drug addict no, they're not all drug addicts. Some are alcoholics. Um, oh, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> she's she's very very wide ranging in her tastes. Um, but yeah, I have the best dad in the universe. Why aren't I dating people who are brilliant and smart and nice and good? Why am I just dating the crazy ones? And I thought, I there's something wrong with me. I am a terrible person. Why why am I? And it just it just because it it wasn't right. And I just felt like. My mom was like, I want you to have what your sister has, which is like a husband and kids and a house and a family. And I was like, but I'm, I haven't met that person. I'm not going to just marry someone. I want it to be my person. And so for a while I was like, there is something wrong with me. I'm terrible. I'm too judgmental. Everybody has something wrong with them. And, and then I actually fell in love for real with someone's brain and heart and mind and and yeah and then it just was right. Pat, did you have a hard time believing that your <laughs> No, I'm not asking it. No, go go, this is a question about feelings, Pat. No. This is not I feel well, then, like then, you're... Then, I, then I pass. <laughs> no. I feel like you thought the question was going to be, did you have a hard time believing that like a total babe could fall in love with you or something? That's not the question. What's the question? The question is... Did you have a hard time believing a total fox could fall in love with you? (laughs) Did you have a hard time believing that you deserved a new and different life after your wife had died? I had some initial problems just internally going... Wow, this is really soon. Like this is this happening too soon? But I would talk to there were people and again in my in my grief counseling that were saying, You don't get to choose what there's no you know and there was a um one of the counselors said, you know, um I my wife passed away and um I uh I didn't get married for like ten years afterwards. I got the exact same 
hassle that people who get married a year after their, which is where if, if you get married and people are like, oh, this is too soon. It's only a year. He waited 10 years. People went, he waited too long. This isn't real. This is some weird. Everyone's like, got their opinion. Everyone has some weird, again, because people do have empathy. I'm not saying they're He's asking about it. your feelings. Yeah, but what I'm saying is my my feelings were very, very confused at first. Uh, and then I just realized, but wait a minute, I'm. I've lived this very long life. I've had a lot of experiences, and I, and I, I spent 13 years with this amazing woman, and I know another amazing woman when I meet them because of the time that I've spent with Michelle. It's almost like Michelle helped me recognize that Meredith was just the same kind of amazing, you know? So why would that—and just because it came along a year and a half, that— that And it wasn't just you. It was Alice, too. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. that she if, if if she and Alice hadn't gotten along, I would not be with her. And I and I thought, like, this is going to be my daughter. There is no you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you're a stepmom. And I'm thinking, I'm a mom. Yeah. Like, there's no other. No one else is her mom. She had a mom, but I'm her mom. No one's telling her to how to take a bath. Nobody's telling her to eat her vegetables. Nobody's teaching her about mean girls in school. There's nobody but me. There's no I'm not the stepmom. I'm the mom. And that might and I don't want that to sound to anyone related to Michelle like how dare you because it's not how dare you. Michelle's her mom. Michelle's her mom and I'm her mom. Yeah. I'm it's just the idea of stepmom to me feels very much like there's somebody else they go back to who has to teach them the real stuff, and the stepmom just chimes in occasionally like, whatever. But that's not the case. It's very much like she's my baby, and and I 100% feel ownership of her, and, and I'm glad that I do because I don't want to feel a disconnect. I want it to be as intense as it is, and it is, and we are inseparable, and I love her, and she's my, she's my everything, and... Oh, <laughs> you talk. You talk. I think I answered it. I'm the kind of girl that at my friends' weddings, um, I mean, yes, I'm an actress, and on camera I can obviously do anything. But if I have to speak about the real things in my life, I just if it's too intense for me, I just can't actually verbalize it without yeah. starting to cry. Two of my best friends were like, "Will you speak at my wedding?" And I had the best speech, and I got up to speak, and I was like. My best friend. And I burst into tears. I'm like, I can't do this. I have to sit down. <laughs> and then I go up to the bride and I whisper. I'm like, I love you so much. This is what I wanted to say, but I can't say it in front of everybody because I can't speak. Yeah. And that's how I feel when I talk about Alice. Literally, I just get too choked up to even finish the sentence. Pat, it feels like going through this whole experience, mm -hmm. soup to nuts, Yeah, becoming a parent, um, losing a partner, gaining a partner, mm -hmm. um, has changed what you do on stage a lot. Um, mm -hmm. I think you're a clever enough guy. I mean, when I say that, an extraordinarily clever guy mm -hmm. who was and is great at making jokes about... Uh, Pop culture, just things removed from me emotionally. Right. Yeah. When you went back to the stage, which you left for quite a while yeah. um, after having done comedy for whatever, 25 mm -hmm. or 30 years. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, I did. You know, six times <clears throat> a week or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Did you have to figure out not just how to be funny in the context of grief, but how to do something that felt like it was worth doing? I had to figure out how to get beyond my own guilt and self-loathing of how are you up here telling jokes? What are you doing right now? Like this is – this should be over for you. But then – and I talked with a lot of my friends. And I talked with my therapist about it. And he said people come to comedy shows because they've got stuff going on and they want to go out for a laugh and you're giving that to them. Why would you – why is that a bad thing to put into the world? And if you're <clears> – <throat> you're not making them go through your grief. You're trying to process it and find a funny way to deal with it. Um, you know, it, 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 initially that was very, very hard. There were mo nights when I just went up and I was way too raw. There were nights when I went up, I would do a set and I would never mention her death. 
And that felt even weirder. The audience would get weirded out. Like, we all know what happened. Why aren't you talking about it? Like, it felt very strange. So I had to find a way to talk about it, but in a way that felt human and felt funny, but not disrespectful, which is a way to, you know, there's a way to do that. I mean, a lot of times that I remember, um, you know, at, at someone's um, memorial, people make jokes. They're not making fun of the person that's dead, but they're telling funny stories and we're laughing. And that's kind of helps you remember the ridiculousness of it. So, you know, that kind of thing always, you know, for a comedian, at least it's been my way of coping. Why would I, why would I then cut myself off from that? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't do anyone any good down the line. And and I'm not talking like my comedy is bringing the cure to the world, but it does bring 45 minutes of diversion and hopefully some laughs. That's not a bad thing, you know? Pat, is there a significance to the fact that you have gold bands on the ring fingers of both your hands? Well, this is my new wedding ring on my left hand that... um. Uh, that I put on when I married Meredith. This one is we, Meredith, Alice, and I. She bought us these rings. I well, let me explain this because it's really cool. When I was a little girl, my parents got divorced, and my mom got remarried when I was seven. And my stepdad bought me and my sister little tiny rings because he wasn't just marrying my mom; he was marrying all of us. And that's how I felt when I met. I was like, this is my commitment to both of you. So I had three rings made, and um, they're all the same. And on the inside of the ring is a little moonstone. And a moonstone is like for love and connection. And and I basically was like, the three of us are getting married, and I want to have Alice has a wedding ring, I have a wedding ring, and he does. And that so on his right hand is the one with me and Alice and him and the left one is, I know a lot of people think it's like, is that the ring? Is that Michelle's <laughs> ring still? I still get um, that, yeah. I know a lot of people think that it is, but that no. that's the that's the family band. Mm-hmm. Well, Meredith Salinger, Pat Oswald, I'm so grateful to you for taking this time to be on Bullseye. Thanks for having us on. This was so Seriously. nice. You're so lovely. I've missed your show. I've missed being able to go out and do shows, so this was great. Thank you, man. Seriously. Thank you. Patton Oswalt and Meredith Salinger, folks. Their new podcast is Did You Get My Text with Meredith and Patton. That's out now. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Patton Oswalt is currently starring on Marvel's MODOK. It's a role he was born to play. If you like that kind of thing, MODOK is full of Easter eggs and obscure references to Marvel comics. So check it out, nerds. Just goofing. Everybody should check it out. Patton's the best. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is created from the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California, where I don't know if you knew this, but there is a veterinarian shortage. Uh, So, look, if you're listening to this, you're a veterinarian, you don't have enough work, come out to Southern California. We can use you. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Our producer is Jesus Ambrosio. Special thank you to Jesus for taking the reins while Kevin was out last week. I hope you had fun in Big Sur, Kevin. We get help from Casey O'Brien and Jordan Cowling. Thank you to Jordan for her years of work here at Maximum Fun. She's moving on. Production fellows at Max Fun are Richard Roby and Valerie Moffat. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. Our theme song is by The Go Team. Thanks to them and their label Memphis Industries for sharing it. They have a brand new record out. Go buy it or stream it. The Go Team are the best. It is so nice of them to let us use their amazing music on this show, and uh, I can't recommend their records enough. Uh, The new one's called Get Up Sequences Part 1. You can also keep up with Bullseye on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. We post all our interviews there. I am on Twitter, at Jesse Thorne. I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. 